amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Let's crack one. 
headache, and um, if you know me, you know I love chicken wings, and so I had to stop and get some chicken wings, and I'm eating chicken wings and trying to make sure the show is right. And um, now I'm I'm ready to settle in because I heard your voice. So how's your day going? My day is going okay. It's going okay. You know, just uh, looking forward to the new year, and um, you know, and we share the love of chicken wings. <laughs> as <for myself. laughs> that's oh, that's what's up. Yeah, yeah, we're kind of sore of sorts. So uh, you know, just looking, looking, um, looking forward to moving into the fresh. 2019, leaving some great things behind in 2018 and some not-so-great things behind in 2018. So looking forward to it. I hear that. You know, um, it's interesting. One one of the things that's interesting about you and I, right, like you had chicken wings today, I had chicken wings today. Back in the day, um, you hung out at some of the same places that I hung out at. We never hung out together back then, but we were definitely in the same place, probably at the same time, eating chicken wings together at the same time, but not together. And I recall one time that you and I were on the phone, we were talking business, and we were both in our onesies. You know, I think there's, I think there's something to be Too said for that, Therese. Yeah, you know, I, I just... It's something there, you know. Like we're like this kindred, you know. We're exactly. that's what's up, exactly. man. Exactly. You know. So. And and you know what's funny? You know, I think that sometimes, like, I didn't, I didn't meet my sweetie pie until I was ready to meet my sweetie pie. You know what I'm saying? Like, I was a knucklehead a little bit back in the day, but I think that people are put together at the right time when it's supposed to happen. And with that being said, my thought is 2019 better look out. I think, I think we're going to do some things, man. Yeah. I see some beautiful things in 2019. And I just think that, you know, outside of growing and develop anybody blessed enough, because you know, 2018, we lost a lot of people, man. Mm -hmm. A lot of people. And, you know, briefly, without even sounding um, morbid at all, I had an amazing experience on on uh, Christmas Eve. And I just want to say shout out to the Anderson family. Um, uh, one of my dear friends, um, Melvin Anderson, decided to end his life. Now, I know oh. in normal circumstances that sounds like a, oh, wow, you know. However, I can say after about three conversations with him on the phone Christmas Eve, he changed my life once again um, by sharing, and I understood him jumping in the power seat to something that he would not have lived here for, you know? Right. I I feel what you're saying. So, I mean, the conversation... if you've had one of those conversations where you laugh, you cry, you joke, and you get a real opportunity to say, yo, man, I love you, you know, and, and I'll see you when I see you, you know what I mean? That was that kind of conversation. And he was, and just the way he lived is just the way he chose to, to die. And, um, you know, just shout out to his family, you know, who, uh, all got an opportunity to exchange, and you know how we can say we we plan things in life. Well, that was my first experience with someone planning things in death, and it's interesting. You know, my perspective on it 
on on the way he chose um, was empowering, was uplifting, you know, um, because it really is about quality of life and had me really thinking about, you know, while you're here with the moments being so few and so precious, you have to focus on the quality of life, you know, and, and, you know, that's just it. You have to focus on the quality of life, things that matter, you know, um, and that's all it is. And when you get to the point where your quality and, and suffering or your quality of life is not, you know, one that you, you know, whether you know can move forward, you can make different choices, you know what I mean? Um, and he just chose to make a different choice, you know, and, and walk into his light, his ultimate light. So I kind of, um, you know, just didn't want to, I don't want to bring, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a situation where it's morbid at all. It's kind of like empowering because the man lived as, as he, as he died, you know, his way on his, you know on what? his turn. I think that's very empowering. I think that's extremely empowering um, to take control. Um, and yeah. also, you know what you just made me realize is that God gives us the option to live or die. Um, yeah. When our time comes, we have ultimately have a choice. Um, in, in, in some situations, we have a choice. Now, you can linger mm-hmm. or you can step into the light on your own. It's, right. it's up to you. Right. I mean, for some right. people, not all of us have that choice, but right. and it's exactly. a very courageous thing to to make the choice to step into the light. I think in some right. situations, not that I'm condoning that choice for everybody in all situations, no. but um, because there is the it gets better um, right. in a lot of situations, you know, and as long as there's breath, there's, um, potential, there's opportunity, there should be hope. Um, right. so I want to put that out there, especially now during the holiday season when it's so, I guess the, the feeling of missing people who have, um, moved on, who have passed on, um, it's just so strong right now. And, um, other things, factor in that make people feel like they don't want to be here with us. Um, right. There's hope. There's tomorrow. Right. You know, so right. I want to put that out there as well, but, you know. Absolutely. We're all individuals in different strokes, right? Different strokes. Different strokes. That's it. Absolutely. So let's talk about the future, right, a little bit. Let's Let's talk about some of the things that we hope. Um, personally, I hope for a peaceful existence in 2019. I really am, you know, for the first time in a long time, really hopeful about brunch in the basement. And um, as you have noticed, I did what you said because you're the boss, you know. And um, <laughs> I actually opened up an Instagram page. So for those of you listening, please um, follow us on Instagram. And it's been a lot of fun. You know, I'm I'm trying to find some of the old flyers like you suggested and posting those, and I'm remembering a lot of the old shows and whatnot. So it's really good, and I'm looking forward to adding new faces and um, new possibilities and interviewing new people. Um, I'm hoping that this year I am courageous enough to invite Shaka Khan to be on the show. Um, I've not oh, done yeah. that yet. I have 
I know people who know her <laughs> personally. That's true. Most of those uh-huh. people are like, Javon, calm down. Um, and I get that. But and and which me myself, I'm like, I don't, I don't, you know, whatever. It, that's a show that you would have to be there for, because you would have to ask all the questions because I'm done. You know, basically. So you, you are an official chocoholic. I think she needs to to know that it has mm-hmm. to happen. You're an, you're a chocoholic. I am. Okay, so Rez, I don't know if I've told you of any of the few times that I've actually made face to face contact with her, but some I've I've spoken about some of these things on the show. So, um. Did I tell you about the first time when I was a teenager and I met her? No. Okay, so I think you might find that one a little interesting. All right, so I know that you've met Shaka, right? Yes. Okay, and so you know she and I have something in common. We're both short, right? (laughs) We're both extremely short. So... Back in the day, this was in 1980, I believe, when What You're Gonna Do For Me came out, that album came out. Um, there was a neighborhood record store. You know, they don't even have as many as they used to record shops. You know, the place where I would go in my little neighborhood in the South Bronx, go get my records. Well, Shaka Khan was doing an in-store, and I was already a shockaholic back then. I was crazy for her. I was about 15. I was smoking Newports and hanging out and had my little gang tag on the back of my, yeah, yeah, whatever. Had that on the back of my um, French star jacket, you know. And um, <laughs> when I heard that Shaka was coming to the record store, um, I went early in the morning that morning. They all knew me because I was always buying music, right? And I helped them clean the store and prepare the store. Now, there was a counter that you know the, the you you know how you have the register and the person the salesperson stands behind the counter right that counter came up to about eh, up to my chest like damn near to my neck because I'm short right so didn't even think about it but I helped them clean off the counter helped them sweep whatever then they said okay you know Javon you have to leave you know she's coming in so I left and I was first online, so I stood there, and I came, and I was like, hi, it's nice to meet you, and she signed my album cover, and I was so nice and calm, and um, she pulled out some Salem Lights or Virginia Slim, some white cigarette, whatever, and I was like, oh, I smoked those too, and pulled out my Newports, which was different than what she was smoking, whatever, and then I left, right, and I was like, oh, my God, so I went home, and I told my brother, oh, my God, I met Chaka Khan, so my brother said, did you give her the poem that you wrote for her? I was like, no. He's like, stupid, give it to her, put your address on it, put your name and address on it, and go back to the store. Are you crazy? You know, you're supposed to let her know. You know, I'm like, okay. So I'm going back, and I met, <laughs> ran into a friend of mine who's about your height, right? One of my besties, her name is Lori. And we go back to the store, and now the line is like a mile long because everybody now knows that she's in the store. We get on the back of the line. We're the last ones all the way back in, right? So now I'm waiting hours, but it doesn't matter because it's shocker, right? So Lori and I go in, and I said, yeah, I came back because I wanted to give you this poem. And she says, oh, this is so sweet. And she tells her assistant, could you put this in my bag? And I'm like, oh. 
Okay, Shaka has something that I wrote, and it's in her bag, and it will travel with Shaka. So my head got twisted in that, right? Lori says, Miss Shaka Khan, may I give you a kiss? And Shaka says, sure. So Lori, being tall, leaned over the counter and kissed Shaka gently on the cheek. So for me, the little lesbian that I was, and Shaka (laughs) Holland. The possibilities, Rez. I was in shock. I was like, can I give you a kiss? And she was like, sure. So mind you, Shaka is my height, and neither one of us could reach over the damn counter, more or less hug over the counter. or My lips definitely couldn't reach her from over the counter. So what do you think your little short friend did? I stepped back. I was 15, so I had the energy and the wherewithal to do it. Stepped back, ran up to the counter, leaped over it, leapt over it, and grabbed Shaka Khan and planted my lips firmly on hers and (laughs) held on for dear life and imagined my little legs (laughs) over the counter flailing as security is trying to <laughs> take me away from Shaka Khan. <laughs> why you why you why you keep up with that image, Rez? I'm gonna play like sugar and um we're gonna be right back 'cause um Shari's calling me on my personal, so I got to I got to hook her up with the right one. And Shari also knows Shaka and, and she she knows I ain't even lying. <laughs> I, I am the biggest shockaholic, and this, 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 therein lies the reason why people, as cool as I am, will not in, introduce me to shaka. <laughs> hey, Sherry.
big movie that's going to be shown on TV One. I saw the commercial for it um, last night, actually. It's called Three's Complicated, and I'm friggin' fragging excited as all get out. I mean, let me just say that even before, years ago, I had... I think I might have wanted to start a blog or something, and this is like in the olden days when computers first started. And I wrote a story about Shari. I always found her fascinating, um, although she wonders why, I'm sure. But she is one of my (laughs) most favorite and interesting human beings. And, you know, I don't say that all the time. I don't say that ever because I never get – well, I – rarely get to speak to her because I rarely call because I suck at that. But she she doesn't suck at that because she called us today. And with that, sorry talking to everybody. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Sherry. Hey, Javon. <laughs> You're on the line with me and Therese. How you doing today, sweetheart? I'm good. How are y'all? We're good. Welcome. Groovy, Sorry, <laughs> I don't know why I'm just tickled to pieces that you're here. You've been trying for a long time. I didn't see the point. <laughs> I know. So, so Therese, just so that you know, when I first started this show... I, one of the first people I spoke to was Shari, and I was like, Shari, you know, we should, you should come on the show. We should interview you. And Shari was like, why? You know, like, oh, my God, you have such an interesting life. You've done so many interesting things. And she's like, eh, not really interesting. So I'm going to – I, I mean, can, you know you, something in this in this flash, I can see why you both are friends, the, the um, humility. Uh, and and just the, the deadpan sense of humor. Not just, it may be it may be serious to you guys, but it's actually very funny and very telling. So I can see why you're friends. Oh my God, I love Sherry. I've you know what? Since the day I met her, I've loved her. And Sherry, I love you. Just in case. No, I, never I love that you to too. You before. Oh my God, no, you are so. <laughs> I, I've told you that before. I wasn't. No, I, I don't so. drink. Okay. Okay, yeah. yeah. Well, good. I'm glad that you know it because I do love you very much. Um, you're very special to me. So um, now let me. Aww. I'm gonna. Yes, and I'm gonna allow Shari to, in her way, and yes, <laughs> I'll allow Shari in her very. I don't even know why we're talking about this kind of way. Tell all the listeners about how she got interested in writing to begin with. Just, let's just start with the writing piece. Oh, God. Honestly, I've, I have never known a time in my life when I wasn't a writer or I wasn't a storyteller. I was telling stories and playing with my dolls before I even knew how to write my name. So telling stories wow. has always been my thing. Um, so I, I, mean, I, I thought I wanted to be a poet. I thought I wanted to be a novelist. And then I saw Spike's first film, She's Got a Habit, and I was like, oh, that's it. I want to be a filmmaker. And that's when it kind of all, that's when it all started to change. Uh, yeah, let's, talk a, let's talk a little bit more about that because you, you were studying at NYU. And uh-huh. I, I know that we, we've discussed this before, 
So I know there's a little bit more to this about She's Gotta Have It and the impact that that movie had on you as a black woman. Yeah. yeah. Well, I was, in, you, I was at NYU at the same time as Spike. I was an undergrad. He was in grad school. I lived in Brooklyn. He lived in Brooklyn. We actually probably saw each other in passing, but we didn't know who each other was. And then I saw She's Gotta Have It. Um, I, I mean, I never thought about making movies. I never thought about how movies were made. I went to the movies probably regularly, but it just never occurred to me to think about how they were made. And all of a sudden I'm going to this movie. I'm seeing this movie that's made by this guy who's like, you know, not that much older than me, who lived in Brooklyn. He's got this black female protagonist who, I mean, I wasn't as cool as Nola, darling. I mean, sexually I wasn't as open as she was. But I, so I thought, okay, well, that would not be me, but I could be her friend. That could be somebody mm. who would be hanging out with me, and I had never, I had never seen anything like that before. It was, it was extraordinary, and I had never seen black people portrayed like that on screen before. At that point, mm-hmm. these were all people that I could have hung out with, that could have been my friends. I'd never seen mm-hmm. anything like that, and that's what all of a sudden made it become so like, it was so powerful. And I thought, this is what I want to do. I want to make movies about black people that are like my friends, like my family, like the people I grew up with. And seeing that movie made that all of a sudden become a possibility to me when it never had been before. Oh, wow. Nice. Nice. So so how then did you meet Spike after you saw the movie? What, what was that first encounter like? And how did you um, start working with him? Well, there were actually several encounters. There was the very, very first encounter was the movie was playing at a theater that no longer exists in New York anymore, which was around 66th and Broadway. And Spike was always a marketer. From day one, he was always a marketer. So I went to see the movie the first time with a friend of mine, and then I went back. I loved it so much, I went back and saw it a second time by myself. And the day I went to see it, he was standing outside the theater hawking T-shirts and buttons. (laughs) And I came outside the theater I bought a T-shirt. He signed it. I wanted one of the buttons. He was like, I don't have one, but he gave me the one that he was wearing off his shirt. He remembered seeing me at NYU, and he was like, yo, you still go to NYU? And I was like, no, I graduated. So that was like the first time we kind of spoke face-to-face. And then we met again maybe a year and a half later. I had started taking film classes at night. I had read this book that he had called Spike Lee's Gotta Have It, which is a companion book to the movie, which talks about, you know, the down and dirty ways he got the film made. And I still feel like it's an inspirational book for independent filmmakers. Um, mm. And then, so after I read the book, I was like, I want to write, I want to work with this guy. I want to be a production assistant. I want to work on his next project. I just want to be, I mean, I want to be professionally affiliated with this guy. And he had done, he had done school days at that point. And he was doing a book signing for school days. And I went to the book signing at this bookshop down on, down on the Wall Street area. And I stayed after the talk to get him to sign my book. And he kind of remembered me. And I said to him, I wrote you a fan letter. Did you get it? And he was like, no, nah, where'd you send it? And I was like, well, I tried to send it to your office, but I couldn't find the address. So I sent it to your dad. And he was like, my dad, where'd you get his address from? And I was like, I looked in the phone book. This is all pre-internet and all that stuff. I was like, I looked in the phone book. And he gave me this look which now that I know him as well as I do, was kind of like, he gives you this look when he thinks you've done something that's gone above and beyond the call of duty, like he thinks you're industrious, which is something that Mm. he loves. 
And I think he saw in me like, okay, this girl is self-determined. She can't figure out how to get me one way. She's going to get to me another way. I like that. And so he sent me to his producer, and he's like, Monty, give Sherry the address to the, to the office. So I resent the, the fan letter, and maybe a couple weeks later, a month later at the most, they call me and ask me, did I want to come work on a music video that he was directing? And that was how it all started. Uh, and what was that movie, that uh, video? What was the, say again? What was the, the music video? The music video was a song called Reaching Out for a Band Called Steel Pulse. Remember them? <laughs> yes. yes. Cool. Very much cool. So. And, and so. And here's the funny thing. The... Well, let me tell you this funny little story about Steel Pulse. Well, let me tell you a funny thing about the music video. So I worked as a production assistant. I'm standing out. They're shooting in a loft in Soho. I'm standing outside, outside this place where they're shooting, and I'm just telling people to be quiet and they can't come in. I did not actually see that music video until maybe two weeks ago because there was, I don't think Steel Pulse, there wasn't even MTV. There was MTV, but Steel Pulse wasn't on MTV, so there was no way for me to actually see this thing. So <laughs> I worked on this thing like 25 years ago, and I actually just saw it for the first time online. I Googled it a couple wow. weeks ago, and it was the first time I'd ever seen it. Wow. But yes. <laughs> so, so, what are your thoughts after all this time when you, so, oh now that you've seen God, it? Oh, my God, it's so friggin' dated. <laughs> <laughs> it is so dated. You would you would completely laugh. It's hysterically bad. I don't want, it's hysterically. I guess it's appropriate for the late '80s, but it was not a great video. Very cute. Yeah. Very nice. cute. So, so okay. So you did the video, and mm-hmm. then what happened from there? Oh my god. Well, okay, so how did you, so, so, all right, so I know that you became a script supervisor for, the script supervisor for most of his follow-up movies, right? For for quite a few of them, yeah, for a period of time, yeah. So what, Um, what, okay, so explain to everybody exactly what a script supervisor does and um, which of his movies did you work on? Okay, that's uh, what is this? I know that's quite a do? list, right? It's I don't know. He's done I guess like twenty five movies, and I've probably done half of them. I guess something like that. Um, what does a script supervisor do? For anybody who doesn't know, films are shot out of sequence, and so basically, as a script supervisor, your overall job is to make sure all the pieces make sense once you put the movie back together. So in scene twenty one, if, if we shoot scene twenty one first, and that's the scene where the person is in the rain. Step back. This is a better example. We shoot scene twenty first. That's the scene where the person comes in from out the rain. When we shoot scene 19, we have to make sure that everything they did in scene 20 matches back to what they do in scene 19. Does that make sense? Is that clear? Yes. Or am, I being, yes. am I making it? Yeah. So yes. it's just, you know, you shoot all the scenes. You shoot every scene that takes place in one location at one time, no matter where it fits in the script. So the person has to be wearing the same wardrobe. They have to have the same hairstyles. They have to have the same jewelry. They have to have basically, if you really think about it that deeply, they have to be in the same kind of mood that they're in with all those component pieces so that when the film is put back together in order, it all feels like it was shot in order when it actually wasn't. That's kind of the overarching concept of script supervision or continuity is another word for it. Right. Exactly. Um, it's, it's almost like they're eating a Danish in the scene and then they cut away and they come back and now they're eating pancakes and, you know, it's like, what? Yeah. The, the, who's the script yeah. supervisor? And so when when yeah. whenever we see things like that in the movie, Cheryl, Cheryl and I will say they needed Sherry on that movie. 
<laughs> and we say it very well, good then, the by the way. I like, mean, I know people love to say that, but that's, I mean, people love to say that and thank you very much. But it's actually not true because what happens is they go into the editing room and they discover that this, the shot where she's eating the pancakes is just a better acted shot. You just meant so everybody, everybody assumes that you're going to pay more attention to the performance than you're going to pay attention to the pancakes. And if the scene is working well, that's generally true. Yeah. If it's not working so well, then you focus on the pancakes. Right. So, oh, wow. So, so yeah, there's a, there's, there was. Oh, I'm sorry. What were you going to say? I say there's a book out. There's a book out that's called In the Blink of an Eye, and it's about film editing. And it talks about the ways in which editors decide how they're going to cut a scene together. And con- it's, I think it's six rules they live by about how they're going to cut a scene together and what they base their choices on. And the last choice of how they cut a scene is based on continuity. Is the absolute last thing they worry about when they're cutting a scene. The first thing they're worrying about is the emotion of the scene. So mm. they don't care whether it's a Danish <laughs> or pancakes. As much as you care. Yeah. I mean, I have to care when I'm on set. But once they get into post-production, they're not thinking about any of that kind of stuff. But go ahead. What was your question? No, I was going to I was going to ask um about other other um directors that you've worked with. Um I know you've worked with Forrest Whitaker and others. Yes. God, it's been I haven't done it's like I haven't done script supervision in such a long time. I was thinking about it when I knew I was going to talk to you today, and I was thinking the last film I did with Spike was like Inside Man, which was like 2005. Um, wow. I work with Forrest Whitaker. I work with – I mean, I've worked. it's probably better if I tell you films that I've worked on because a lot of the directors okay. I work with are not – they're not high profile, right. so you might not know their names. Um, I worked on American Gangster. I mean, that was Ridley Scott, so you do know him. I yeah, worked that was on great, The First Wives movie. Club. I worked on mm-hmm. New Jack City. I worked on Juice. I worked on – I, let me think. Uh, Disappearing Acts with Gina Prince Bicewood. Um, I'm trying to. I should have put them. I could have pulled up my resume to tell you these things. What else did I work on? The you worked Santa on Fort the best Washington. man. I did. Oh God, how could I forget that? Yes, I worked on the best man and, with Malcolm Lee. Can, but wait, could we stop there for a second? Because sure, I didn't even realize that I was watching it the other day. It came on, and I just you know was watching it and. Um, since I've met you, since I've known you, um, I Uh always make it a habit to watch watch the credits. Yeah. Just to, you know, even I don't expect to see anybody I know, but just out of respect for the work that the people do, you know what I mean? And, you know, maybe I will see a name or whatever. And then I saw your name. I was like, I didn't know Shari worked on that movie. What was that like? Um... Working on The Best Man was really, it was a lot of fun, I have to say. It was Malcolm's first feature film. He and I had been friends for about five years at that point. Um, it was just, it was so great to to work on a project with somebody that you love and you support and you want his film to come out well. And it was another one of those films where it was black people in a way that we didn't always see them yet. I mean, I think some people take it for granted because there's a lot more black films now and we see a lot of different kinds of black experiences, but that was not, you know, that was not always the case. Right. Yeah. And so when we yeah. did The Best Man, I don't think we had seen characters like that necessarily before or not regularly. And they, and all of those folks were up and coming. I think it was like Tay Diggs, it was one of Tay Diggs' first films, if not his first film. Nia Long was just starting to cross over into films from having done, you know, The Fresh Prince and all her TV work. Um, right. Morris Chestnut, 
Sanaa Lathan. These were all, it was all of either their first films or very early parts of their career. And everybody was just so excited and so supportive of Malcolm. And then when the film did so well, I mean, I think we shot that thing for like six or nine million dollars. And then it made like $36 million, which was a tremendous success at that point in time. So it was just we just had such a really really lovely time. It was just, and you know, and I remember, I remember the women in the hair and makeup department kept calling Morris Chestnut. They were calling him Dark Gable. Everybody just thought he they just were loving him. <laughs> he was like the hottest thing since sliced bread at that moment. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. no, it was great. Yeah. So okay, so yeah, right. Turns huh? out with his cute self, he he's he's a cute yes. guy. Yes. So so okay Howard. so this. There's two things that I, I really want to touch on, and then I'm going to let um, Therese ask any questions that she has about the past, and then we got, I want to move on and talk about the future. So just like an agenda that I have, I just mm-hmm. wanted to put that out there. Mm-hmm. So two things, and one of them I, I'm pretty sure will be rather quick, which is clockers, right? Um, clockers? You, yeah. <laughs> okay. And the only reason I'm bringing it up is because Shaka Khan. Um, oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You worked on that music video with her, right? Yes, I did. So do you remember what year that was? <sighs> Probably somewhere mid-90s, maybe, maybe 95-ish, I guess, 95, 96, maybe. Okay. See, okay, so Teresa and I, I was just filling Teresa in on how much of a shockaholic I really am. And you? No way. I know, right? <laughs> just who would think? Who would have thought? Who would have thunk it, right? But so I just want to know what it was like working with her. Oh, my God. It was like 20 years ago. Remember. I mean, I'm, it was great. I don't remember that well. I remember. I remember little bits and pieces. I remember... I think the song. I think the song she did was a song that Bruce Hornsby wrote. So both of them were in the video. I feel like we were mm. shooting on some side street in Harlem. So that I remember things like lots of people crowded around trying to see her. Mm. Um, I feel like we had been there for a long time before she showed up. Not that she was late, but that just she came later than we started working. Um, I think she was really nice, but there was no grand. I mean, I know you love her, and I love her too. I mean, I've loved her since I was a teenager. Um, but there were no grand. There was no grand moment. It's just, I mean, you know, it's great to watch her perform, even though she's lip syncing. It's still right, lovely to right. watch her perform. And it was a beautiful song, as I recall. Yeah, yeah. And and a uh, follow-up question to that is, if you were working on a Shaka Khan um, music video now, would you invite me? <laughs> 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 just to, like, be, like, in the show. No, probably not. Not a good look. Okay, so let's move on. Let's move on. I mean, if you could control yourself, it seems like a terrible thing as a friend not to invite you. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I think I could probably disappear into the wall, you know? Um, Yeah, I think I I, I I could do that, Sherry. I just want to put that on your mental radar and your mental Rolodex of people to invite to Shaka Khan music video next time you work with okay. her which I'm putting it out in the universe that you're going to work with her again <laughs> and you're going to have your director's seat and you're going to have a little like toddler 
um, time out chair. chair for on you. The, a booster seat yes, for you. And, yes, and I'm going to sit there and behave, and that's all okay. I'm going to do. All right? all right? I just wanted to put that out Sounds there. Good. So now my other thing that I wanted to bring up, because, and I don't know if you're going to tell the story the same way I recall the story, and if you don't know Sherry, it's hard to as much of a giggle out of it as I do. And, Is this the and, waiting and next I think, story? Yes, you know I love that freaking story. Every time I talk to you, I got to talk about that. But I don't know why. Wait, which story? Okay, the the waiting to exhale story. So Sherry worked on waiting to exhale as well, and you know Therese said said the word deadpan, and and Sherry has a lot of deadpan in her, like the sense of humor, and and even not sense of humor when she's serious it's it's not funny but you know it's yeah serious you know what yes. i mean yes it's, and yes. and it is what it is so please tell the story and then everybody go out and watch however you can <laughs> waiting to exhale and and that's my friend my friend my chest is sticking out go ahead sherry <laughs> tell, tell the story come in where am I? I'm in Phoenix, Arizona, working on Waiting to Exhale, which was directed by Forrest Whitaker and stars, as everybody knows, Whitney Houston, Angela Bassett, Loretta Devine, and Layla Rashawn. And I'm working as a script supervisor, and there's a scene where uh, Whitney Houston's character has an assistant. And the character is a, non- it's a non-speaking role. It's just an extra. And they brought in all these groups. Of- they brought in this group of people to be the extras, I mean, to be the assistant that Whitney and Forrest are going to pick somebody to do it. And they decide they don't like any of these people. So they come over to me with these little, like, mischievous grins on their faces, and they look at me. And they're like, Sherry, would you be, would you be willing to play Whitney's assistant in the scene? And I'm like, no. And they're like, oh, come on, Sherry, do it for us, do it. And I was like, no. And they kept harassing me. I guess this must have been the beginning of the day and we were shooting the scene toward the end because I feel like they were terrorizing me all day long trying to get me to do this <laughs> stupid thing that I did not want to do. So finally they, agree, I, finally they talked me into doing it. I was like, yes, okay, I'm going to do it. But I'm wearing exactly what I got on now. So what you got to know is I'm wearing a T-shirt and jeans and some sneakers because I'm at work behind the camera. I did not come to work to be on camera. They're like, okay, yeah, sure, fine. You can wear exactly what you have on. Little, sh- I should have known. They were completely lying to me because the next thing I know, we're getting ready to do that scene, and they rush me off to hair, makeup, and wardrobe. They plaster my hair back to my head. They put me in this dress and these heels. Javon knows me very well. She knows heels are not yeah. my thing. It Mm-mm. was the most uncomfortable, unpleasant thing on the planet. I'm sure all these extras are hating me because there was not originally supposed to be a line. All of a sudden, they give me a line to say, which now means I get to be in the Screen Actors Guild, which any extra, all an extra wants to do is get into the Screen Actors Guild, and now I get to do it. So mm. they forced me to do this stupid thing. So And now I'm in it, and I have to admit, it turned out to be a great thing. I get residuals to this day from being in that movie that I was in 25 years ago at this point almost. But that's my, little, that's my waiting to exhale story that Javon seems to great, <laughs> derive great pleasure from. This tickles that's me to pieces. Because, but, but, but you know what, Therese, and, and everybody who's listening, the, the thing about it that's funny, well, that whole story is funny, but one of the things – is that they kept adding layers to her wardrobe. 
throughout yeah. the course of this thing and adding, oh, now, oh, could you just change, oh, could you put this, let's just beat your face a little bit. Oh, if we could just, you know, change your outfit. Oh, wear these shoes. So by the time we see the final piece of it where she comes out and hands Whitney Houston the phone, her feet are hurting, and she's yes. tired and irritated. <laughs> yes. And if you saw Shari and you see that, you can see that she's irritated and her feet hurt. And it's just My. freaking funny to me because when I saw the movie the first time, I don't, either I didn't know Shari personally or didn't realize it was her in the scene. But when after she told me the story and I went back and looked at it, I hollered. So if... Now that you know you all know the story, please go back, watch Waiting to Exhale, and wait for that scene where Savannah's <laughs> assistant comes out with the and says Savannah phone. Yes, and just look yes. for the irritation because my girl was. <laughs> <laughs> I was totally pissed. But I have to say that, but I have to say in hindsight, particularly now that Whitney has passed. When I look back on that experience, it is actually one of the most wonderful experiences of my life to have gotten to spend time with her and get to know her. And she was absolutely lovely, you know. And she has this nickname, Nippy, and I used to call her Nippy. And that, I mean, it was so weird. She was just so, she was really very cool and very, very down to earth. And I'm so yeah, glad I got yeah. to spend that time with her because we were in Arizona for probably like three months. And it was really, even though Forrest was directing it, it was very, very female-centric cast and crew. And it was a whole lot of bonding between the women on the set. And so I feel like I got to know her pretty well for that time that we were there. And it was really a lovely, it was a really lovely experience. Yeah, yeah. That, that's, that's a, isn't that a great story, Rez? That's a wonderful story. Oh, my God. Yeah. And now that, and actually you've had an opportunity to sit down and meet Shari and talk to her a little bit and everything. And you're in the getting to know her process or whatever. So, I mean, when you see this, I don't know if you've watched it again or watched the movie recently, but it, you, it's funny. It's going to be fun. You watch it and then hit us up and let us know if you find it as funny as I do. <laughs> or am I just a damn clown? What I told you that was even more funny is that this, like, six degrees of separation is more like two or three because we both, well, between Shari and I, um, she is very good friends with uh, three people, <laughs> including yourself, Jamal, but three people mm-hmm. that, I, that I'm that i connected to, which is like mm-hmm. uh, one that she uh, did this current work with and mm-hmm. another that I've been friends forever, like uh, little rascal type friends um, uh, who I'm working on the current project with. So it's just uh, amazing that we hadn't met until recently, you know. That's true. But That's very everybody true. Everybody says the same thing, Shari. Everybody gives you great, uh, you know, like great sister love, you know, just love for your craft, for your, your personality, just for the spirit that you are. So that speaks volumes. Absolutely. Thank you. And, and let me just let me just throw this out here because a lot of the, the people who listen um, are familiar with me through the music video, the um, – Waiting on my life, the, on my the marriage life. equality, mm-hmm. yeah, the marriage equality video. Actually, Shari, let me just uh, and just for those of you who don't know it, Shari directed it. She put it together. She, the the oh. music video, yeah, she she did such a great job with that. And actually sat up with me. Well, I sat up with her all night long. Got on her last friggin' fragging nerve, but you know she <laughs> still loves me, and that's a good thing. 
Um, I, I, I apologize for that again, Sherry. I know I was a brat, <laughs> but um, I really was. But I learned how to edit video just watching her. It, it She's amazing in, in her vision and how she goes about her work. She's extremely humble and a grinder, a grinder. Um, Sherry, people still are... I guess, you know, attached to me because of the emotion that came through in the video. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I thank you. We ain't get no money, but we did get connections to people, like a a human connectedness that has Mm -hmm. been long-lasting. And so, you know, I'm grateful for that, and I I just wanted to thank you. Um, I I just also wanted to, to ask you, how is it that you're able to I don't I don't even know how to put the question together but you know you kind of act on faith if you ask me like in the belief in yourself mm-hmm. that if you do what you what you're supposed to do you're going to be taken care of you everything's going to work out well um I just want to switch gears and just talk about your first feature film that you did on your own. I think that was Callie's Vibe, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, so if we could just talk about what went into that and how you got got up the the wherewithal and the courage to just strike out (laughs) on your own and, and just do it. Um, let's see. That's a complicated question. Um, I guess at some point, at some point, I guess I, well, I mean, I knew, I mean, I got into film because I knew I wanted to write movies. That part I knew. Whether I wanted to direct them or not was not even something that I had thought about too deeply. And so while I was still working with Spike and script supervising and, you know, being really, really happy doing that, I started doing little projects. So I had done a couple of short films. And I decided that I I was kind of liking the directing thing. I still wasn't sure, but I was kind of liking it. And then I wrote, then I wrote Callie's Vibe, and that has a whole long backstory which I won't go into. <laughs> um, I wrote Callie's Vibe. I wrote Callie's Vibe right before I went to. I wrote the first draft of Callie's Vibe right before I went to Arizona to do Waiting to Exhale, and mm. that was in early '95. And. I spent so much. I I don't know. I mean, I don't even know exactly how. To, what's a concise way to answer that question? People were. It, it got. It started to. It started to generate a little bit of heat on its own, and so that I think helped give me some confidence that it wasn't just a movie or an idea that I was interested in. That other people were finding it interesting. So it got nominated for a Gordon Parks Award when it, as a screenplay, and that gave me some faith and some confidence. And it allowed it opened doors for me, and I met more people. And I think the more mm. people I met and the more people that liked it gave me more confidence and courage that that was a good project there and that, you know, it was worth pursuing. Um, it was, wow, that, I mean, that's like, that's like a four-year process, so that's kind of hard to break down. Um, I did crazy. Mm-hmm. I have to admit, we did some really stupid things to get it made, things that I would never encourage people to do. But when you're in the thick of making a movie, you do whatever it takes. So we made a decision in 1999. In the summer of 1999, we made a decision that on my birthday, July 14th of my birthday, 1999, we were going to sh- we were going to start shooting the movie, come hell or hot water. We knew how much it was mm. going to cost to shoot the movie. We knew we were going to shoot it for 21 or 23 days, one of those two. 
And on the day that, my, on July 14th, 1999, we had nowhere near enough money to shoot that movie. <laughs> it was a Wednesday. I will never forget it. And I was like, you know what, effort, y'all. We're just going to start shooting. And if we run out of money, we'll, t- we'll stop. And we'll put together a trailer and we'll use that to raise more money to continue shooting. Um, and the gods were smiling on us because we would be shooting all day long and then we would get on the phone at night and be raising money and we'd start shooting the next day, same deal. And we actually got through the entire three weeks shoot, the 23 day shoot. We got to the end. Um, wow. And things did, I, and I, when I look back on it, certain things fell into place that I think helped me make it happen, but it, it shouldn't have happened. I never recommend anybody shoot that way. It's insane. It's crazy, but that's what we needed to do to get it done. And so that's what we did. Wow. And that's, mm. I mean, that's, that's just the nature of being an independent filmmaker. You do whatever it takes. Nice. Um, you know, and you surround yourself by people who either, A, know more than you do, and also who believe in the project and believe in you. Because that's really, I mean, in the very beginning, and especially as a first-time filmmaker, people have to believe in you, even if they don't believe in the, even if they don't love the material, because it it's an LGBT story, and everybody doesn't necessarily love that. But people believed in me, and they wanted to support me. And that's what I think got us across the finish line. Does nice. that answer wow. your question? I think so. I just want to, for those who don't know, and and I had to pull up a list because you said, you know, it would be better if I asked you, you know, the names of the movies as opposed to the directors that you've worked with. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I've pulled up a list. This is not a, an entire list because we know that you've done other movies. But um, let me just uh, shoot them off. Um, Mo Better Blues, Jungle Fever, mm-hmm. Juice, Malcolm X, The Night We Never Met, The Saint of Fort Washington, Crooklyn, mm-hmm. Clockers, mm-hmm. Waiting to Exhale, Tuesday Morning Ride, that's a short, that was a short. The First Wives mm-hmm. Club, Club. Um, John, I can never pronounce his last name, Liguzamo. Oh, John Liguzamo. John, yeah, John yeah. Liguzamo. <laughs> Freak. Freak, you did the, his TV yeah. special, right? The 24-Hour yeah. Woman, um, right. Arrangement, The Best Man, Twilight, yeah. Los Angeles. You did Bamboozled. Right. Which... I just recently watched that again. We'll talk about that offline, though, that movie. Okay. Interesting. Anyway, <laughs> Disappearing Acts, mm-hmm. Jim Brown, All-American. It was a TV documentary. City by the mm-hmm. Sea, 25th mm-hmm. Hour, She Hate Me, right. Jesus Children of America, that was another short, Inside Man, and American Gangster. Oh, and When the and Legends Broke. And when the levees broke, oh my God, which was an oh. excellent film. Yeah. Which was my only yeah. time. I'd only it was first time, one and only time I'd ever been in New Orleans at this point in my life. Was wow the first, when they had Mardi Gras right after Katrina. That must have been a, an emotional assignment, I'll say. I mean, oh, to be the there broke? and to talk to those people. Oh yeah. man! Oh my God! I. I I'd never seen anything like that before in my life, to be in New Orleans right after Katrina, because it was, I don't know, six months later, I guess. Yeah. I mean, on one hand, what was beautiful was the resilience of the people. But on the other hand, I mean, we shot in some places. I mean, the Ninth Ward, I'd never seen that level of devastation before in my life. It was extraordinary. But I have to say, one of the most extraordinary moments we had 
was we followed this group of people who were doing a prayer circle down by the river. And I don't know my geography well, so I'm assuming this was the Mississippi River. I could be wrong. But it was a river that was completely serene. No boats, no nothing. Serene. And this group of black people got together and started doing this prayer circle to pray for the lives of the people that have been lost in Katrina and to pray for people being able to come back. And I get chills just thinking about it. Y'all, the river started to roll. When they started Mm. praying, it was like it went from completely pristine, nothing, to all of a sudden it just started rolling as if there were, I don't know, as if there were boats on the river or something. It was just churning. There was nothing there. There was nothing on that river. It was just the energy of these people that started to Mm. stir that thing up. It was, my skin was like, I had goosebumps. It was just extraordinary. It just remind. I mean, moments like that just really remind you how deeply connected black people are to our spirituality, to our culture, and to the land. And that mm. was just one of those moments. Wow. So, mm-hmm. yeah, being in New Orleans after that, was it was just incredible. I mean, and, and really, the people were just living. I mean, I, we, we interviewed these people who were living in like a school bus because their, you know, their house had been destroyed. But people were bound and determined mm. to come back and to rebuild. Well, so. Wow. Wow. So I feel like I've been monopolizing this entire interview. Um, I want to oh, give no. Teresa yeah. an opportunity to ask you a couple of things. No, I'm actually learning and uh, I'm having fun because, you know, what better? You, you have definitely more the connection and, and you know the questions to pull and ask, but this is great. But I have some, I have some randoms, though, Shari. Name name three people that three actors that you would love to work with. Three actors that I would love to work with. Hmm. Let's see. That's a tough one. I wish you'd I wish you'd give me a heads up so I could think about it. Three actors that I would love to work with. Um, I'm a huge fan of Regina Hall. I think Best Man was her first film, and so uh-huh. to have watched her grow from that to where she is now, I would love to work with her. I just think she's. Um, a beautiful, beautiful woman and a beautiful actress. Um, let's see. Let me think. Let me think. Let me think. Oh, that's so hard. There's so many people, and now I'm, I'm drawing a blank. Um, oh, 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 Viola, da- Viola Davis. How can I say that? Viola oh. Davis. Viola Davis. Wow. I actually want to, I want to write a movie for, for Viola Davis. I want Viola Davis to be in love with a black man on screen and be happy. Um, Yeah, right? Something where she doesn't have to pull up this. I mean, well, I shouldn't say that. Okay. But, you know, she she has a unique way of crying on screen where it all just comes out and something where she doesn't have to cry and, you know, be unhappy. You're right. No, I want her to be happy. We went to see Widows the other day, and I mean, you know, she's fantastic in it, of course, but she's married to this white guy, and I just, I sat there thinking, I'm going to write a movie for her where she can be married to a black man, where she can be in love with, where we can see black love with her and a black man, like in her real life. And Um, they could be happy. Yes, they could be happy, and she can smile, and she can look pretty, and she can have her natural hair, and all those things that I love about her. (laughs) She can do all those things. Do they have any any happy movies these days? Like people are just happy together. I don't know. Mm, they probably are. Yeah, they probably are. Okay, and I need one more person. Let me think. One other. Let me see if I can think of an actor. Let's see. Is there an actor that I'm? 
Hmm. Well, now let's see. Um, 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 um. Can I pause that and think about it? You want to ask me something sure else? Can. And you I'll sure come can. and I'll think about it and come to me. Because I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna switch it over then because I'm curious about uh, if you got a call tomorrow from um, name three directors, mm-hmm. directors, and it could be uh, uh, living or dead. Mm-hmm. Um, that you would not, that you would not have hesitated at the opportunity to co-direct with. Oh, co-direct! Mm. Oh, wow, co-direct. That's interesting. <laughs> That's very interesting. Um, I mean, two people who I love right now are, are people that I think everybody loves right now. I love Ryan Coogler, Black Panther, mm-hmm. Creed. I love him. Yeah. I mean, Ava DuVernay, who can who cannot love her? Yep, yep, Ava. Um, and let's see. I'm trying to think of another. I, I'm I'm trying I'm trying to think of somebody like deep and heavy, like someone who's passed away who I should be want to want to admire. But I can't think of anybody right now that way. So let me just think about people realistically. Um, see, I like mine. I like Ava. Um, um, um. Oh, Jordan Peele. Actually, I think he's really interesting. Jordan Peele. Yeah, I love Jordan. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Oh, it's nice. Oh, take that. Can I add a fourth one? I'm sorry, Barry Jenkins. Absolutely. How can I leave out Barry Jenkins? Ah. Uh. Yeah, that's another one. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I thought of my third my third actor. Here's my third actor, Mahershala Ali. Ah, Mahershala. Nice, nice. And my love. Yeah. And my love. Cool. Okay. All right, so now let's talk about Threes Complicated. Okay. Where did that idea come from? And how long did it take to write it? What... What what is the premise without giving it away? And um, oh, it's already, so it's already and so been on. given away. If you see the poster, know, it's already right? been given away. <laughs> I know. Uh, I know. Uh, the premise is probably the easiest question to answer. The premise is really um, fundamentally it's about a mother and a daughter who both find who both end up being involved with the same guy. That's the fundamental premise of it. Um, how long did it take to write it? Uh, the first draft took me about five weeks to write. And I know you ask me these questions that you think are really straightforward and really simple. <laughs> no, I've always convoluted. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, when, in, in from my perspective, yeah, they're simple questions, but I know when put on the spot, they can be um, thought-provoking. No, they're, they're, they're circuitous. Like, so I wrote, I wrote the first draft of that script in spring of 2011 mm. and I wrote it um, I got I won this crazy online contest to direct um, some straight to video some straight to DVD movie in Texas and that was one part of it and the second part of it was I needed to select a, they had a contest a writing contest as well and I was supposed to select one of the scripts from the writing contest but the movies were going to be extraordinary it was going to be me and two other guys were going to direct and the the budgets were going to be super low, like less than $50,000. And the premise of the scripts had to be something to do with black love or black urban romance or something like that. And many of the people that had submitted scripts, they didn't fall into those categories. And so I went to the guy who was coordinating all of this, and I was like, I don't like any of these scripts. And he said, well, can you write something in a month? And I said, foolishly, yes, I can, although I had never written anything in a month before. 
And that mm. was the first draft of Three's Complicated. So I ended up not doing the thing in Texas, but I fell in love with the idea of Three's Complicated, and I continued to develop it and work on it. And from 2011 till we just shot it last spring, that's how long it took to get made. So seven wow. years. What's, yes. what's the, what does it look like when you – you send you you have a treatment or whatever it is that you call it these days, and you send it out to different you shop it around to different networks or whatever. Because I have people who are always asking me of all people as if I know anything about that. Mm-hmm. Like, how can they get their idea out there, or they have a script, or they they want to have a, do a television show, or they want to do this, or they want to do that. You know, you you wrote something that I'm sure is good. I can't wait to watch it. It's a great idea. I'm so I'm anxious to watch it. But you wrote something and you put it out there some kind of way and it was reviewed and approved and signed on and produced and now we're going to yeah. see it on January 13th. What what is that process like? Like if there was somebody who didn't know anything about it, like myself, um, what advice would you give people? Well, I mean, I, <laughs> I mean, I would tell them to bear in mind what I just said. I wrote the script in 2011. I made the film in 2018. That's seven years. Mm. So resilience mm. and perseverance are two of the major things you got to have. Um, it helps to let people that you know read it and love it and support you because you're definitely going to have those dark days where you're like, this ain't never going to get made. I'm never going to see this get made. I mean, I certainly have moments of depression of why is it so hard to get this made? People are reading it and they're loving it. How come we can't get it made? Because, I mean, I spent seven years literally trying to get it made. It wasn't like it was just languishing. Um, it's there is no one, There is no right way. There is no there's no right way. There's no one way. It is certainly an industry that is built on who you know. So if you know anybody related to anybody, that's probably the best foot in the door you can have. Um, I got to TV one because, you know, they were somebody we reached out to, to try and help us. We we're trying to do, I was trying to do the film as a theatrical release for the first six years or so. And we met mm-hmm. up with TV one and they were like, you know, we really love the script, but we don't do theatrical movies. We do, made-for-television movie. So if you ever decide you want to do it as a made-for-TV movie, let us know. And after several years of getting, you know, doors slammed in my face, trying to do it as a theatrical, I thought, Sherry, this is ridiculous. Here's people right here who love you and love it and want to do it. Go do it. So sometimes mm-hmm. you have to let go of what you think it's going to look like to allow for it to be what it needs to be. That's not easy. It wasn't right. easy for me to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes act like I'm not really well-connected, but I'm fairly well connected. I mean, I can, I certainly have phone numbers for people I can call, even if they're not going to make the movie with me, I can call them and ask them advice or ask for guidance. So that helps on my side. But I mean, I really do believe, especially in the days of, I mean, in the world we're in now with the internet and digital technology, Mm -hmm. you really are only one or two degrees of separation from almost anybody. Exactly. Um, You know, I met this guy the other day, I was doing this music video for a friend of mine a couple of days ago. And the guy who was the stand in, for the music video, for the lead person in the music video, looks very much like the the guy who plays Ralph Angel on Queen Sugar. Mm. And when I saw him, I was like, "Oh my God, you look just like him!" And he's like, "Yeah, I get that all the time." He said, "I reached out to the people at um, 
Green Sugar's casting, you know, casting agency. And I said, you know what, if I were you, I'd reach out to Ava DuVernay via Twitter. I'd send her a picture and say, people say I look just like Ralph Angel. I think y'all should cast me as his cousin or something. Because you can get to anybody. Exactly. I mean, who knows whether the show is long, long or not. Twin. But you got nothing to lose by trying. You got nothing right, to lose exactly. by trying. Right. Exactly, exactly. And I tell people all the time, you know, if there's something that you are interested in doing, shadow other people who are doing what it is that you're doing on on social media. Hit hit them up, you know. Um, You you can make a lot of connections that way. Um, We Mm -hmm. have a caller on the line. It is Dr. Simone. (laughs) How you doing, Simone? Fine, fine. Um, I just want to say first off, um, hello, Therese, and hey. hello, Sherry, right? Did I say it right? Sherry. Sherry. Okay, um, I just need to say that um, this whole entire conversation uh, radio interview is like a come to Jesus um, thing that I, that I needed to hear. Um, I was just, and Javon knows it, I was just about to just give up. Um I have a TV pilot. I'm a, um, mm-hmm. I wrote a book. I'm a doctor. I have followings, you know, videos, people all over the world. They follow me. But I'm also an intuitive medium. And I've had, you know, people seem to love me. They're like, we believe in everything you do. We'll buy your book. We'll share your videos. But then it, it's like, okay, I did this TV treatment, and um, I've read for people all over the world. They're like, you're amazing. And I see on TV that they don't have any you know, black intuitive uh, mediums who speak to people on the other side and who are also PhD doctors. So why not do a TV, uh, like a TV treatment? So I did it. And, you know, I run into people who are like, you know, okay, well, we can do this or we can do that. or we can. But then it comes to find out that they're really full of, you know, they're really not about what they say they're about. Then mm-hmm. I do all these readings for all these other people. And one lady um, in particular I'm thinking about, Spirit just came to me and was telling me everything to tell this lady, everything I told her about the TV show that was coming, everything, everything, everything just happened within the past two weeks. She was like, how did you know this? I said, it's just a gift. Spirit told me. I don't know her. I, I was just told, you need to reach out to her and tell her these things. And she thought I was crazy at first. But when it started happening, she was like, I don't even know how to – thank you for this. Like she's flying off everywhere. And then it made me discouraged because I'm like, well, why is it that, you know, I'm able to pull people out of darkness, write a book, be their doctor, tell them what's coming. Spirit follows me around my house. They're knocking on things and they're always here. I know I'm not crazy, but they're always here and I'm able to do this. But why is it not happening for me? So I said, I'm just going to leave it alone. I'm just going to go ahead and be a doctor um, in an office because I used to model and I, I freaking hated it. So, you know, I became a doctor. I said, well, let me just go ahead and just give, just forget it and just become a doctor and um, don't even try my dreams. Just just let it go. And then when I present to people the things that I've done in life, they're like, oh, my God, you've done so much. And then I look at them like I really didn't, you know, and then listening to you and, you know, you wrote it like years ago and now it's out and, and, and you didn't give up. I think I was supposed to hear this today because it was done. It was it was done. I, I was not going to even push it. But, mm-hmm. I mean, if if it's meant to be and it's something in my spirit, and it, it seems like every time I put it down, it comes back up. Or every time mm-hmm. I say forget it, somebody comes at me and they say, you know how you changed my life and I didn't kill myself. Or somebody says, I have a person over in South Africa who wants a reading. And then they reach out and then they're like, just all these things. 
so I just want to, you know, I don't know you, but I just want to say, you know, thank you for being, you know, the angel of the day and um, for being the, you know, the, I guess the gasoline that I needed in my car to continue to go because it's, it's hard. It's hard when you have a gift and you, and you know that, you know, it should be out there and you, and you just know if the right person sees it or, or what have you, then it'll be good, but you can't get to those people. Then you see everybody else getting to those people, and you're like, the hell, why am I not getting to these people? So, you know, long story short, just thank you for um, sharing and just being candid, and uh, I think that I'm not going to give up. <laughs> so, well, let me ask you, can I ask you a question? Is your, is your TV show, is it a reality show or is it a uh, fiction show? It's a reality show. Um, basically, um, I had a gift ever since I was five years old. It would scare the hell out of me. I'm just going to be totally honest. Spirit would come, shake the bed. Um, I would hear things. I would have deja vu videos, uh, not videos, excuse me, deja vu uh, dreams and all those things. And I put it away for years. And then in my 20s, mm-hmm. I lost boyfriends. I've lost girlfriends. I've lost people because I would tell them, this is going to happen to you. And I would feel the shifts in, in, in the planets. And it was, it was just craziness. So then, you know, fast forward to now, I was just like, um, I went online because I have a radio show as well. And this lady was doing her own readings or what have you, and, you know, my friends had called in. So she said, uh, I said, I want to know about my book. She said, no, your grandfather's here, and he said, you need to be doing your readings. I said, oh, oh, hell. And then I just started doing it for free at first, and then people were, like, falling out crying, and they were like, you should, you should charge. And then I started charging, and then I figured, wait a minute. You know, I'm a doctor. I'm doing life coaching. I, I permit psychologist. I can tell you what's getting ready to happen. I talk to your relatives. Why not follow me around and watch me do this and help people? And then I see all these other shows where you have Psychic Mama and you have mm-hmm. um, the Long Island Medium, and no one looks like me. No one mm-hmm. looks like me. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, why is it that they never look like us? I saw one, and he was on Viceland, and he's, like, not even a psychic. He's, like, a, a psychologist, and he talks to, like, the rappers and all that. So I said, you know, my life is crazy anyway. People follow me around. I get stalked. I got crazy relatives. The whole thing would be interesting. But then they'd see, you know, we can do it too, and it's real. And, and you know, you get to go through the meditation and the practice with me, how people mm-hmm. fall out. They literally fall out. And and cry, and they're like, how did you talk to my grandma? Or how did you know that that was getting ready to happen? Or when spirit is following me around my house and my daughter and my dog can't sleep because the house is full of energy. Like, it's a really great reality show, but I, nobody like me is on. So I would feel mm-hmm. that somebody would want to do that, and they would want to go ahead. Because I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but I'm not a bad-looking girl. So if you put me on TV, <laughs> and i got a PhD, and I'm smart, and I'm personable, and people like me, and I have a gift, then why not use it to touch other people? And why not use it to let everybody else see that we could do it too? It's not just you have to be, you know, nothing against people of any other race or anything, but you don't have to yeah. be white. You could be me. Yeah. And I was just going to give up. You know, I just said, you know, be happy with being a doctor. Be happy with being a behavioral specialist. Be happy with just being quiet. But my spirit's not quiet. Like, no, like it's not. not. A, <laughs> I'm not a quiet person. Like, I, I sometimes I do speaking engagements, and I have bring people to tears because I want 
people to be motivated. I want people to go after their dreams. I want people to succeed. But then when I'm sitting in my house and people don't know when the depression, you know, creeps in and you're like, I'm a failure and I just can't do it, you know, and it, mm-hmm. it, it, it makes you crazy. And today, you know, I just said, I'm forget it, forget it, forget it. And then the phone was ringing and people were saying, I need a reading. And you know what you said and blah, blah, blah. And then I listened to you and then you were the one who pulled me out of all of the forget it, forget it. So excellent. Excellent. <laughs> I, you just here's my one piece it. of advice to you specifically. I would say, sit quietly in a room. Think about who you want to do the show with. Like, who would you like to produce it? What network would you like it to be on? Don't answer these questions for me. Answer mm-hmm. them for yourself. Just sit mm-hmm. quietly. Just put all your energy into it and just write it down. And then just leave it alone. I know you understand. Things happen. Mm-hmm. Things mm-hmm. happen. You just got to be clear. What do you want? And I do this, too, because I think I see other people being really successful in ways that I'm not, and I'm like, why not me? But that's just not the, that's not the way to bring it to me. Why not me is not going to bring it to me. All right, exactly. What is and Sherry, what you put what is Sherry supposed back. to do? Right. Mm-hmm. So I would just say get very quiet about what you see the show being and be very clear about what you see the show being and just put that energy out into the world and watch what will come back. Okay, let me ask you a question because I've done that, but are, are you saying maybe I haven't done it correctly? Maybe I need to be more Not so correctly, clear. but maybe you're holding – I think you're probably holding on to it a little too tight. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, I will take your advice, and I am probably getting ready to go meditate right now, but um, <laughs> I, I really, really needed to hear this, and um, yeah. <laughs> You're amazing. So thank you, <laughs> thank you very much for taking the call. And uh, yeah, let me go meditate. <laughs> All right, we'll be that was great. That was great. Thank you. You're thank welcome. you so Bye. much, Simone, for calling in. And thank you, Sherry, for sharing your wisdom. You're welcome, my friend. No. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So. You're welcome. Ooh, y'all don't even know. <laughs> so let me just let me just tell you briefly that again, this um whole radio thing has been really interesting and I'm running up and down stairs using different phones and okay. different equipment in order to keep this thing going. <laughs> so just if I sound like something yeah, else is going on over here, the heavy breathing is because I'm old and fat. Woo. Okay. I All right. Thank you, you very much. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. So, yeah, but um, yeah. So, so just you know, just to recount some of that. Um, you know, Simone is one of the people who, oftentimes, speaks about you know having a dream and wanting something to happen and. You know, just one of many people I know who have aspirations. And, you know, I think of you quite often, Sherry, that, you know, you have pursued your dreams. You continue regardless of um, letdowns and, or even high notes or whatever's going on. You continue. You just, you just keep going, you know, and, um, as far as I'm concerned, you know, you have a very successful career. Now, success looks different on everybody. And, yeah. you know, to to me, success is you're able to do what it is that you love doing. So I just want to know whether or not 
I'm correct. Are you doing what it is that you love doing? Do you love what you're doing? I love, uh, yes, I absolutely love what I'm doing. I I love what I'm doing. I feel tremendously blessed. And is, do I want more? Is there more I would like to be doing? Absolutely. <laughs> but, yes, I feel, um, yeah, I mean, we had, I have to say, I mean, I was just thinking about the reads complicated today and just remembering before I, before I called in to talk to you, I was just thinking about I'd never been to I hadn't been to Atlanta before. If I had it been years ago, so I got to shoot the film in Atlanta. I had the best time. I met a whole bunch of people I had never met before. Everybody was fantastic. I had a great cast. I had a great crew. We really had an extraordinary time making the movie, and it was, you know, it was it, I couldn't even. I mean, it was delightful is the word that comes to my mind. It was just a delight, yes. you know. So yeah. Right. So know. tell us more about the, the, I'm sorry, the staff and, um, well, not the staff, but the, the actors and the the producer, the executive producer. Who who are you working with or who did you work with on this, this film? Um, well, my primary cast, uh, Shanola Hampton, who's, uh, Shanola Hampton is the lead. And if people watch Shameless, they know her. This beautiful black woman with locks, which makes me very happy. Um, <laughs> the love interest is Tyler Lepley. People who watch Tyler Perry shows, The Have or Have Nots, is what he's on. Um, Kiana Simone Simpson plays uh, the main character's daughter. Charles Malik Whitfield, who people have seen many times, I'm sure, was also in my first film, so it was great to work with him again after, I don't know, 15 years, I guess. Um, and an actor out of Atlanta named Johans Miles. Those are sort of the five primary characters. Um, wow. The producers, um, well, the producer that Therese is talking about is my friend Gingy Rochelle, and Gingy worked on my first film with me as well. We've known each other since back in the early days of Spike. So she came on as a producer. TV One is a producer. So Tia Smith was my creative. There's a company called Swirl, which is a production company out of Atlanta that works on TV One movies. A um, bunch of great guys. I don't know anybody's last name. So there's Eric and Darian and Ron and Jay and Jimmy. <laughs> and they were all great. Um, a DP that I had never worked with before who was recommended to me, wonderful black man named Keith Smith. Um, and just an extraordinary group of people out of Atlanta that I got to work with. It just was, I mean, everybody has such a great attitude. Everybody brought their A game. We just, you know, and we shot the film very fast. We only shot, we only had two weeks to shoot the film. So we were running and gunning constantly. And wow. everybody just had a great attitude. And Shinola, Shinola has an energy that is unbridled. So we had to try and keep up with her. <laughs> and it just was, you know, we just had a really great time. And it was, I mean, you know, it's like, I can get down in the dumps like your friend can too about things not working out the way I want them to. And then all of a sudden something miraculous will happen and I'll go, thank you, God. Yes, I know there is a God or yes, there is source watching yes. out for me. And I remind myself for that. I mean, one of those things we were shooting, that most of the action in the movie takes place in this one particular house. And we had gone location scouting and we had found a house that we were probably going to shoot in that didn't look anything like the house I had imagined. But I was like, okay, we'll make it work because that's kind of my attitude. We'll make it work. And then we went on a location scout for to look at another house for a totally different character. And when we walked in the front door, I was like, oh, my God, this is our house. It was as if somebody had stepped into my brain 
and taken exactly wow. what I imagined when I was writing it and put it right in front of me. And it was like, wow. this is the main character's house. That other house ain't her house. This is her house. <laughs> and we were able to talk to the owner, and the owner was willing. Because we, we were going to shoot a character who only we only need to be shooting in that house for like two days. When it became the main character's house, we needed to be shooting in it for almost like two weeks. And we got wow. the owners to actually allow us to shoot there. But, I mean, honestly, I walked in and I looked around at everybody. And I was like, are y'all thinking what I'm thinking? This ain't such and such's house. This is Deja's house. And everybody's wow. like, oh, my God, yes. I mean, everything that I imagined when I was writing the script is exactly what this house was. That was a miracle to me. Wow. Go Amazing. Back your you know, so yeah. I have those kind of moments. And it's true what you said, you know, it even says it in a, it even says it in the Bible, you know, write it down. Write it down. Yes. And so, you know, that's just amazing. So now that this is written and produced mm-hmm. and ready to air, mm-hmm. what's next for Sherry Carpenter? Mm. Uh well I mean I have two other screenplays that are that I'm shopping. I have a TV show that I'm starting to shop. And honestly, there's like so many fantastic TV shows that are being produced right now that I would love to go on as guest directors. Like I'm putting out in the universe, I want to direct Queen Sugar. Um, mm. And there's lots of other shows that I would love to direct. So things like that. I mean, there was a point in time when directing TV seemed like such a, you know, almost like a step down. But now mm. there's so much great content on television and on, you know, Netflix and Hulu and Amazon Prime and all those things, I'm, you know, I would really love the opportunity to direct other people's shows as well as my own stuff. Not I think the universe is hearing you on that, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I sure think so, too. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think that anything you put your mind to, anything that you desire, anything that you focus on, um, it's it comes to fruition in in an interesting way. Um, I I can't even imagine. Therese, do you see why I wanted Sherry on my show for like the past four years? Oh yeah, I, I see. I see why you wanted her. She's like, why? Well, she's dope like that. But I'm just saying, like, <laughs> Sherry, you have to understand. Yes. Your mortals, this is very, very interesting work that you do. I guess it's, I always thought your show was more about music, so I didn't quite understand why you would want me. Oh, okay. I get it. But my my show is this show, and for those of you listening for the first time, this show is just about interesting people who do interesting things. It's about people who might or actually not necessarily people, but conversations that might take place if you or anyone were to come into the basement and have brunch with me. And it's only brunch right. because of the time of day. So it could be any <laughs> anything. There, there are times that, you know, we, we talk only politics. I mean, because yeah, that okay. is the firestorm of the day. And, and yeah. you know, I, yeah. because I love music so much, um, I guess the the majority of the people that I've pursued to be on the show have been musicians, yeah. for, but um, and and also I don't know many actors or actresses. Um, however, I'm fascinated um, with that whole thing as well. But if um, 
if I know of a waitress with an interesting story, that waitress is more than welcome to come on the store on the show and talk about waiting. Okay, and you know what's to talk about waiting. You know what's interesting too, Jay, is that sometimes the singers come on and they're talking about politics and talking about current yeah. events. So it's uh, yep. you know, it's really about yep. what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. like Linda Clifford, she's one of my favorite guests oh. because you know we'll play Runaway Love and and what's the other one? What's the if my friends could see me now, any of her greatest hits. But we spend the whole entire time talking about. Individual one, you know. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. So, so it's about whatever we make it about. This is the other thing that's great about this is that it's one hundred percent free. We can, well, it's yeah. not free to the pocket, but it's it's we can talk about whatever. There's no censorship. I can say yeah. shit and see they didn't cut me off. <laughs> ah, see, I was trying to be clean. I wish I had known. Nope, we could say the F word, but I, I would say oh. it, but I just don't have any cause to say it right now. Fuck. Oops, I said it. There you go. So, yeah, so. <laughs> oh, no, I know. No kind, of, no kind of sense. So, is there anything that um, anybody is bringing into the new year or leaving behind that they want to just get out right now? You want to. Like um, for example, I I want to leave behind the idea that this show is not impactful, and um, that it it doesn't reach people and touch people. I'm I'm changing that philosophy in my mind, and I'm leaving that behind in 2018. Going forward, um, this show I'm proclaiming will touch triple the number of people is touching now and maybe even hundreds and thousands time more people um and that it will be a positive impact and influence anybody else have a proclamation or a declaration they'd like to make mm. you know I, um, I, I i used to think those um what do you call them resolutions were kind of corny but what i will say is that um i am um going into 219 with a renewed sense of purpose and mm-hmm. um, execution, you know, um, and and focus, focus. So, yeah, that's what I want to want to say. I'm going to I'm going to really, really meditate and focus on what that is for me moving forward and try to only invest in things and people and time that I care about, you know, and mm. and want to bring things into fruition. So it's going to be a, a year of creativity and, and love in a real sense mm. of the world, making more time for, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going, I'm trying not to be so busy, you know, um, and, and be more focused in, in 2019. Yeah. I like mm. that. What about you? For me, I think, I think the word that's been coming up for me a lot for these last couple of weeks is just clarity. And I think, so I think for me, clarity can fall into lots of different, falls into lots of different categories. It falls into, or it encompasses a lot of different things. It encompasses being clear, be about being clear of my intentions, being clear of my purpose, 
being clear about what it is I want to do and why I want to do it. Um, it allows me to strip away the sort of the needless chit-chat that can go on in my head. Mm. Um, so clarity is really what I think I'm looking to take into 2019. Yeah, you know, that's, that's interesting that you said that. Um, Kevin E. Taylor, Pastor Kevin E. Taylor says mm-hmm. that, you know, when, when they say, you know, oh, the enemy is trying to stop me from something, sometimes the enemy is the inner me, mm-hmm. the inner mm-hmm. me who, you know, we tell ourselves things, um, negative things that stop us yep. from doing the things that, you know, we we want to do, that we're meant to do or whatever. And so, you know, I'm I'm – going to stop listening to the negative inner me mm-hmm. and do some more of those creative things and not let anyone or anything, including myself, stop me from um, doing those things, you know? Mm-hmm. It's just important, yep. you know? So this, Absolutely. I believe, will be the last show of the year unless I get the whim. That's the other thing. It's, I could have a show anytime you want. Just do it. That's true. Um, yeah, tomorrow and yeah. Monday. Yeah, so but for now I'm thinking that this might be the last show. Um and I just really, really want to thank you to Rez, actually, for making the show this year worth doing again and um getting me back to to it, to doing it. And re-inspiring me um, to do this and other other creative ventures, you know. Um, you have no idea what a great impact you've had on my life this year. And um, so I appreciate you. And I, I just want to say that I'm so glad. I couldn't be happier to put the two of you together. Um, because you're, you're both two of my favorite people. And... Um, <laughs> You really are. You really are, no doubt. Well, thank you. And, um, yeah, you know, I appreciate you both. And, you know, I'm just I'm just glad that you two got to meet each other. Yeah, well, thank you, Javon. And I want to say to you, as I, as I do on and off this, this show here, thank you for being obedient. And thank you, for, and what I mean by obedient is allowing the spirit to work through you and not – and uh, not listening to some of those voices in your head, because um, those can be the loudest. Those are our worst critics sometimes. And pushing forward and being open to take the chances. You are an amazing spirit and creative, loving, talented. And I believe that anything that you touch with just your particular way will do well. So I'm always yep. going to be here to support you, to cheer you on, to laugh, to cry with you. It's it, it's absolutely cool and my pleasure to connect and 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 equally be as inspired. So thank you. Just want to say that to you. Thank you. Of course. Aww. I know. Group Aww. hug. Group hug. <laughs> <laughs> Yo. So with that, um, I guess you know we're gonna go and and now Sherry that you've had yeah. the experience of being on the show I hope you come on again and again especially once the show has aired um as after um three's complicated airs 
um, it'd be groovy to, you know, even just have you on just so we could talk about that. Now that our audience has met you, um, well, now they that I've done it, know. I see it's not so scary as I thought it was going to be, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, and it's just, it's just talking to me, uses, you know what I'm saying? It just, it's just, yeah, it's not. Yes. I can't believe you yes, were scared yes, of yes. anything having to do with me. You are, what? Come on. You know, I got you, right? Yes, I do. Thank you. Yes. So, now, as if you listen to the show, you know that I usually end it on a theme, and... um who better than Therese's wife, Monifa, to kick off, I guess, the new year with reminding us to take a moment for ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. It's like you inspired yeah. you you inspired Dr. Simone to take a moment to meditate, to sit down and write what it is that she wants to do. I may do the same thing. I need to write some things down. I actually started writing a book. All that means is I have one page. And maybe I'll I'll actually one day finish it, you know. Um it's it's yeah, it's something. And um I there's so many other things creatively I've I'd like to do and um you know, I encourage the two of you as well to take a moment, reflect and get back to it, you know, and um I just thank you all and thank you to all the listeners as well. Um, we love you and we appreciate you. Yes. Happy New uh, Year. Happy beginnings, everyone. Yeah, happy thank New you Beginnings. All. And um, Rez, kisses to the missus. Will do. All right. All right, everybody. This is Monifa with One Moment. What's up, everybody? It's your girl, Monifa, and you are listening to Brunch in the Basement with Javon. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I swear I need a moment just for me. Lost myself without a cause or reason. Sometimes a girl can get upset from dealing with all life's pressures. If you're supposed to be my friend, then just understand it. Now name the last time you did something just for me. Without it benefiting you in the Spin my- 
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.